Hello and welcome to episode number 15 of Inquisitive on Relay FM. This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by our friends over at Drafts, which is a fantastic app for the iPhone and iPad where text starts and it's now even more powerful than ever. It's also brought to you by Campaign Monitor. We love our friends at Campaign Monitor. They help you send beautiful emails and get better results. And also Dash, where you can create beautiful dashboards with just a few clicks. My guest today is the one and only Mr. Andy McMillan. Hi, Andy. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm very well indeed. And I am Mike Hurley of Relay FM, of course. But you hopefully should know that by now. Andy, what do you like to be known for? <laughs> what do I like to be known for? I don't know. I, uh, you know, something happened a couple of years ago where when people uh, meet me for the first time, they don't say, uh, oh, you're Andy. They say, oh, you're the other Andy. <laughs> because I seem to have, I've, now I am known as one half of the duo that puts together the XO, X, or puts together XOXO, um, which is a, an experimental festival celebrating independently uh, produced art and technology uh, here in sunny Portland, Oregon. And it is actually quite temperate in Portland. That's not normally I say that jokingly, but the weather's actually quite nice today in Portland. Um, so I'm, I'm one half of, of XOXO. I also, for five years um, in Belfast in Northern Ireland, uh, organized a design festival called Build, which was uh, a design festival for web designers. Um, and I publish books. I publish a design journal for the web called The Manual. We just got um, our online and ebook and audiobook editions published, uh, are funded through a Kickstarter project. Um, issue four has been shipping this week and arriving through people's stores. Subscribers and Kickstarter backers have been receiving their books. Um, and that is mostly what I am known for. I think that is a pretty decent summary of what I do and what I have done. No, I want to touch on kind of all of those things today. Um, mm-hmm. But first off, I want to, you know, I want to hear a little bit more about you. So, what? Tell me a little bit about the path that brought you to creating Build. Like, how how did you get from there to there? Um. Well, I I don't know. This is really a very interesting story. I um, went to university and really didn't enjoy it very much. I didn't really get anything out of the university experience, or at least my course was kind of garbage. Um, I originally wanted to get into radio production. Um, to My dream was to one, one day run the BBC. Um, and so I um, got involved with student radio station at the university, and I, I did music technology at Queen's University in Belfast. And very quickly fell out of love with it, dropped out of university. The only other thing that I knew how to do was build, design websites. So I did that for a little while. And almost immediately, um, whenever I decided that that was something that I wanted to do all of the time, um, uh, took on quite a lot of client work that went quite well for someone who really didn't know what they were doing. Um, but I also got involved in the web design community very quickly started going to uh, a lot of conferences because I was in Belfast. I was going to a lot of events over in England, um, deconstruct in, in Brighton and future web design, future web apps, that kind of thing. Um, was traveling over pretty regularly, made some good friends. And um, then some of the events um, that we were attending kind of 
we would meet up afterwards and do the typical thing that people do, which is critique every aspect of the day. And it kind of became apparent over the course of a few years that some of our the events that we were attending were maybe compromising quality for uh, other aspects, not to get into that too much, but uh, there was definitely, I, you know, I felt that there was definitely room to organize something else, something a little bit different, something that kind of treated web design a little bit differently. And uh, so I, I remember in a TGI Fridays in Leicester Square ranting to some friends like, oh, this, you know, that was garbage. And like, I just, you know, if it would have been so much better if this or if that had been done this way, like, why did they do it like this? And I remember my friend saying to me, okay, just like, oh, we're, we're done with this. Like, just shut up. <laughs> you're going, uh, if you're going to complain all the time, just do something better yourself. And so I did. Um, I, I ended up, then I started Build, and we ran the first one in November of 2009. Um, I did five of them. It ended roughly this time last year. I, actually, it was about a year ago. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the point. I guess that's my sort of origin story. I got very frustrated with the kind of formal education system and didn't really get very much out of the course that I was doing. Stumbled into web design and then stumbled into kind of being part of the design community and then wanting to run events for my friends. That's essentially it. It's so interesting, like over the course of this show and and on my previous show, Command Space, how many people um, follow a similar path in that they were frustrated with education and started something new or they started their education in one thing and then got this little hobby or decided they didn't like what they were learning and just went out to a completely different route. Well, I mean, I could, I could, we could do an entire episode on my problems with uh, the education system. And I I certainly have an issue. Like I, I tell the story to my friends all the time and I'm moaning about the fact that I feel like I wasted a lot of time and money in university when I think anyone with any, like, I think it could have been identified in me quite early that going to university was not going to be helpful for me, that I kind of liked doing particular things that formal education was not going to necessarily assist me with. And so there is a problem in the education system where you kind of, you just want to get people to the next step. Like, I I, I can only speak from a UK perspective, um, so excuse the fact that I'm saying primary, secondary, you know, university, whatever, but like the the education system is kind of built just to get you to the next point in line. Like you get through secondary school, so you go to university and the secondary school wants to brag about how many people they put into university. And it's, it's they're not actually, most of the time, they're not actually trying to help you find the thing that you're actually interested in in doing. So, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to me because pretty much everybody goes through that process of like being told, like, you need to go get a degree, like you need to go into higher education. It doesn't matter if that's not relevant to what you want to do with the rest of your life. Like that is what people do. People just, you know, you have to do higher education. You have to do kind of university degree level education. And that's that's not necessarily true. Like, you know, I, I really wish that there had been more there had been more voices in my earlier life telling me like, if you want to do like, if you want to design websites, there are people who do that and make money at it. Like it's an actual career choice. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, career choices. Um, I guess this is a kind of a formal way to consider, but like there's a lot of stuff that you can do in your life that is enjoyable, that you can make money doing 
but you don't necessarily have to have a degree to be able to understand how to do it. And so yeah, it's not at all surprising to me that a lot of people, um, particularly, you know, people that I've met through Build and, and especially EXO are the kinds of people who, you know, when they get that far into formal education and you kind of have a little bit more freedom whenever you're at university or college to kind of get to know yourself a little bit more, that people end up, you know, leaving those systems and going and figuring stuff out for themselves and starting things on their own. It's, it's really not that surprising to me at all. I never went to university. Um, I left college and went and got a job with the plan to go to university, but I never ended up attending. And now that I look back, it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Cause yeah, I, was, I, I only was wish I had had that. Yeah, you're, you're very lucky to not have thousands of dollars of debt. Because yep. I have thousands of pounds worth of, of university debt from two years of a three-year degree that I never finished because I hated it more than anything. And uh, yeah, you're very lucky, Mike. So you were studying in, in radio and you were interested in radio. What, what part of it? Presenting or the technical part or the production part? Um, well, it was a music technology degree that the university had just started. And essentially, they have been really funny. <laughs> Some uh, of my lecturers I'm actually friends with. And it'll be funny if they actually ever hear this. <laughs> Although I suppose they've heard me complain about this a lot. Um, the, the school at the university had just decided that they wanted to do music production, but they didn't really know what music production was. And so the first couple of years of that degree were kind of very clumsily put together by the school and the university so it was for all intents and purposes it was a music degree which really did not work for me because I don't play music I don't like I, I cannot read sheet music I don't um, perform music um, but so many of the modules in the uh, in the course were performance composition you know and it just it did not work for me at all I was much more interested in the production side of things like recording documentaries and recording kind of audio, um, putting stories together. And, and I've kind of, you know, in previous interviews, like sort of clumsily, like look back at that and tried to find some line between like, oh, I like telling stories. And so I run events and that's kind of storytelling. And I guess there's maybe something in that, but um yeah, I um, I forgot the, what the original question was because I ended up rambling <laughs> about how much I absolutely despise that course. So yeah, with, like, with the radio stuff, like with your passion for that, um, where where did that that end up taking you? Did you ever? How far down that route did you go before kind of changing course? I mean, it was. Like I can almost remember the day that I just decided to throw it all away. That I was just like, I don't want to be involved in producing radio anymore. I don't want to do this course anymore. I'm done. I need to go do something completely different. And so, like, what I have taken away from that experience, what I took away from university and being involved in the radio station, and uh, has been not necessarily any sort of professional anything but rather friendships like I have like most of my friends that I have at the moment are all people that I met from that that time in my life um but otherwise it really I guess it really didn't take me anywhere professionally because I kind of just rage quit 
and immediately jumped into designing, uh, being a full-time web designer, and then getting involved in a totally separate community that had absolutely nothing to do with radio, audio production, anything like that. Like, it, there's just such a, a clear line between the two. I really didn't take that much from it at all, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to talk to you about Build um, and, and understand a little bit about what went into creating that over the years that you did it. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to take a break for our first sponsor, and that's our friends over at Campaign Monitor, who make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns both quickly and easily. Campaign Monitor features Canvas. Canvas is their easy-to-use builder that allows you to craft your own beautiful email newsletters. They're going to look fantastic on all kinds of devices, mobile phones, smartphones, tablets, desktops. They're going to look fantastic everywhere. Thousands of Campaign Monitor customers are using Canvas to totally reinvent what they send. You can create an email template of your own that matches the exact style that you want to create at campaignmonitor.com slash templates. With Canvas, you're able to create an email in minutes. It's super easy to use. It has a fantastic drag and drop interface and it takes care of everything from you. It allows you to create the perfect typography for for the email that you're trying to create. It allows you to uh, resize images really, really easily and have all of the colors and, and styling options that you want to make something really pop. Canvas automatically makes sure that your emails are going to look fantastic everywhere and they use responsive design to make sure that on all those devices is going to look fantastic. Campaign Monitor is such a cool company that they've actually made it possible to build and export your own templates without ever having to start a Campaign Monitor account. If you just go to campaignmonitor.com slash templates, you can find out so much more. You can start building with Canvas and you don't even need to sign up, but you should sign up because Campaign Monitor not only are really cool, they're also a great supporter of this show and all of Relay FM and the podcast community at large so go sign up for a free account right now at campaignmonitor.com thank you so much to campaign monitor for sponsoring this week's episode of inquisitive so andy what was the build conference and how did it come to be you know aside from you having these conversations and deciding that it was the right thing for you to do to go and try and do this on your own how did you start out and what were your ideas um, well, build started, I mean, it's not a very romantic story. Um, although it does seem to be an origin story that is shared with a lot of other projects that you bundle up all of the stuff that you don't like, um, about things that, you know, something like build was very much a reaction to everything else being not very good or me noticing deficits in other events where I felt like I could do a better job. And so, it, I mean, it was very much built on that. And that, I guess, like, it would be, I always imagined that it would be a much more enjoyable story to say, like, oh, I just had this revelation one day. I wanted to make this thing. I'm like, well, no, actually, it was kind of, um, it was a reaction to wanting to make something better. Um, I guess that's not that bad. So, um, I, that's, you know, that was the, the, the catalyst was, noticing all of the things in other events that I, that I wasn't happy with and I'm trying to figure out if I could do a better job. And predominantly, um, there, were, there were a couple of things about other design events that I wasn't enjoying at the time. Um, first off, kind of just jamming a bunch of people onto a stage together and, kind of, and hoping for the best 
isn't really the best way to put together a conference. There are, um, you know, there's a school of thought as well that the conference is just kind of the excuse to get people together. And that's absolutely true um, in one sense, because really, you know, as, as an event organizer, and I have, you know, seen this over this past six or seven years of organizing events, the thing that people really take away from attending your event is it's never anything that you programmed. It's never anything that you did intentionally. It's always the people that they met or some other experience that they had that normally has very little to do with anything that you've ever planned. Um, But that's not to say that that experience can be ignored entirely, that you can just throw a few kind of names onto a stage together and sort of hope for the best. like there's no reason why you can't focus a little bit more on putting together a narrative and trying to have some kind of goal with the the sort of narrative arc of the day. And so that was the first thing I wanted to do was very deliberately choose um, the right people to tell a story over the course of the day of conference talks. And that worked really well, I think, particularly in, in the, um, 2011, 2012 builds, you could really see that there was a kind of a narrative arc formed over the course of the day. And we, you know, it was never anything that we made a big deal out of. There wasn't like a theme publicly up anywhere. Like no one was talking about the fact that that this was a very deliberate thing. It was always something that was done in the background. And um, I I was over the course of the the past five years of build, I've been very happy with the fact that, um, or with how that, that went. The other thing that I was really disappointed in that was like a, a lot a lot of the events that I was enjoying attending saw the opportunity for it to become something that they might make some money out of and I have absolutely no problem with making money out of uh, events um, that's kind of what I'm trying to do as a career so I have no problem with that whatsoever but compromising the uh, compromising your attendees and your attendees trust in order to market you know, irrelevant nonsense, you know, it, just in order to get a check is like, again, there's another way that that can be done that works well. Um, and so this is another thing that I have been working on at Build and we've carried over to XO, the idea of having companies come on as patrons, bringing companies that are already involved in the design community and doing good things, um, bringing them on and having them support the event financially, like, of course, cutting a check and helping support the cost of the events, because without sponsors, you know, the ticket price would have to be higher, or the, you know, compromises would have to be made. That's why we have sponsors. But, um, but having those companies send people, like actually come and attend, that their, that their uh, existence at the event is that there are people there, not that there, there are logos everywhere, not that they are bothering people by doing like a 10-minute talk before lunch about the new thing they built that you don't care about. You know, picking the right companies and making sure that there are people there rather than than some kind of marketing bullet point list that, that's being executed at the event. Like, it, it, it was so straightforward to fix that problem, and that's something that has worked, that worked incredibly well over the five years of build and, and has been receiving a lot of very positive feedback at XO as well, that we have created an event that is essentially free from commercial noise and and nonsense that we've just like picked the right people and, and got the right people involved and that they're attending and they're actually genuinely improving the event rather than compromising it by being there. 
Um, and so those those were the two kind of biggest things that I wanted to to tackle. And then you know, some other accidental stuff happened that I, you know, I wanted my friends to have an excuse to come and stay in the city that I loved for more than a couple of days. So Build ultimately then became a five-day festival, and we did film screenings and live music and uh, talks in the evening and a beer festival and a pub quiz. And we built this festival program over the course of a week, which then also came over to XO. And XO has a full weekend-long program curated around the the theme of independence, where we have our arcade and live music and storytelling and tabletop games. And so it's it's an excuse for people to come and visit the city. You know, both Build and XO were supposed to be a way of showcasing both Belfast and Portland. So that was something that kind of accidentally happened as well. And that, uh, I think that those three things are the reasons why those events were so well received was that there's a very clear intent in putting the event together, that the conference isn't being neglected just because we all understand that that's not necessarily going to be the thing that you remember most of all, that you're you know, you're going to remember the experiences and the conversations that you had with other people, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be neglected and that that, that can't be exemplary as well. The sponsors are, are involved from more of a patronage perspective and that they are actually genuinely contributing to the quality of the event rather than detracting from it and giving people a reason to come and enjoy the city, giving people, you know, because I feel very passionately about both Belfast, which is where I've spent most of you know, my adult life in Portland, which is where I'm hoping to spend the rest of it, uh, it's, a, it's a really good excuse for people to come and enjoy two very excellent cities. And so that was that was really, I think, what has what set Build apart and what is part of what is setting XO apart as well. What do you consider when looking at Build's run uh, are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned that you've been able to apply to future events that you've been a part of, like like EXO? Um, <laughs> so, uh, the biggest lessons learned are not um, especially glamorous. Um, keeping a budget. Keep a budget. <laughs> uh, if you are organizing an event, have a budget from day one. The first couple of years of Build did not even have a spreadsheet open for it to record anything. It was done in a wing and a prayer. Um, and it, that was absolutely ridiculous. And granted that was some time ago and I have very much learned that lesson since. Um, but keeping an eye, like ev- events can make money. They're not necessarily going to make a lot of money, but they can be, they can at least be sustainable. Time. Um, and that is all that I've ever wanted from, from the events that I run is just for the six, nine months that I'm working on them, that I'm not, going broke and that's that's more than enough and and i that would be the thir- first thing that i would say that it, it organizing events has definitely taught me more financial responsibility um and i'm still learning that i'm not still not necessarily very good at it but i'm still learning a lot of lessons uh there um getting everything in writing getting contracts from people any of the problems that have happened over the past you know, five years of build or a couple years of, of XO have been because we didn't get something in writing. Um, I'm trusted someone and, you know, a sponsor walks away because you know someone there like that's, and then you can't handle it because you didn't have anything in writing that, I mean that it, it's, it's really financial 
lessons that kind of stick with me most of all, I think, which is not especially glamorous. Um, but that's, that's really what I am learning from, from organizing these events is a lot of financial lessons. What are some, if you look at back over, um, builds history, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the most, uh, interesting or surprising things that happened? Maybe things you didn't expect that maybe even, um, helped you when you were thinking about planning future events. I mean, when I started build, I really, I really had absolutely no idea just how much of an effect it would have on my life and on the lives of people who attended. Like so many people's, so many friendships have been born out of just some people meeting randomly at build. Um, it's that is that is the single most significant thing I think is that it has connected me with so many interesting people that I was attending these design events before, you know, and becoming part of a community, but that just absolutely blew open whenever I started organizing build and seeing it happen to other people who were, who attended build as well has just been phenomenal. Um, like I have, I have the build, Bill's logo is a little hex nut. Um, and I have it tattooed on my wrist because that like really struck me in the second year that, um, that this was a, a very significant thing for a lot of people who were showing up. And I, and then I, I foolishly put on Twitter, if we sell out this year, I'll get the build logo tattooed on my wrist. And, and I did it. Um, a friend of mine bought my tattoo, um, appointment for my birthday. And, uh, and I'm really happy that I have it because I look at it all the time and I think about not not just all of the people and opportunities that I the people that I've met and the opportunities that I have that I have got through being the organizer reminds me of all of the other people and you know the fact that so many friendships were born out of it and so many you know professional relationships and so many opportunities for other people like it's just it's it's very odd to have been responsible for putting those people in the same room together, even though I wasn't maybe responsible for those people meeting, you know, at least having some hand in putting those people in the same room and then looking at how these relationships have developed. That, that is the single most significant thing. And that, that is ultimately why, you know, even whenever this is a lot of work and it's, you know, it's difficult or it's, um, you know, there are problems or, you know, difficult days and, and piecing events together. Like ultimately that will always be what, what I come back to and what I will enjoy most of all about this being something that I get to do as a job is the people that are involved and the effect that the build and, and XO have, uh, like XO as well, like exponentially it, it build was, um, the beginning of that, like EXO has just taken that even further, that people collaborating and working together on stuff and people meeting at, at XO has just been, it, bl- it blows me away every year, just how much of an effect these events can have on people and how much of an effect it can have on their relationships. Um, that is, that is by far what I will, what I will take away from, especially from Bill. Bill has a special place because it was the first thing that I did. Um, 
yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely what I'm going to take away from it. Clearly build was, and is so important to you. Like it, it, the way that you talk about it, you, you talk about it with such emotion. Why did you decide to bring the the conference to a close this with the last with the last build? Why not continue forever? Um, because I would have destroyed it <laughs> from the inside. <laughs> I mean, you can't. Uh, the the whole point of build was to have to was to work in this idea. What I mentioned earlier, work in this idea of having a narrative over the course of the day. And that can't go on forever. There has to be a narrative over the course of the 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 event as well. Like there has to be some point to it, um, and that can't be done endlessly. I mean, there, I mean, there, there are a number of reasons, but the the biggest one is that it would have just if it had gone on too long, this like there would have been no story. It would have got diluted away over time, um, and it and it, that would have ruined it. it. Would have ruined the the years when it was a success. And I'm very fortunate that the five years of build were, um, I regard them as successful, you know, that there were certainly bumps in the road, but I, I look back with a tremendous amount of pride and you're right to, to say that I feel very emotional about them. It seems like a completely ridiculous thing, um, like running events and, and have feeling so strongly about running a design conference. Like that's, bizarre but i do like these these it's it's something that i created and i can tie back almost every significant relationship in my adult life to build and, and or someone uh that i met through build um like i wouldn't have xo in my life if it wasn't for build because andy bayo would have never heard of me and would have never reached out to me like there wouldn't have been any reason like i can i can tie back pretty much every um like i'm in portland at the moment if it wasn't for Frank Shimero speaking at, at the second build in 2010, I would have never asked him if I could come and stay with him for a month. And then ultimately that kind of became me being here all the time. Um, like I can, I can tie back every significant thing that's happened to me in my adult life to some opportunity that was afforded through organizing build. And so, um, the, you know, there's a part of it that's, that, is kind of paying respect to that as well, that you can't expect that to go on forever. Um, and also creative fatigue. Like I didn't ever want to get sick of running it. Um, five years was uh, what I thought would be reasonable. Um, and I was right. The fifth year I could definitely, like when it was done, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I don't feel like I want to do another one. Um, I was right. Uh, and I'm glad that, I'm, that I walked away from it feeling complete that I never took it a year too far or um I mean there, there were a lot of reasons but it was it was mostly preservation that you know we kind of built something up over the course of five years and I didn't want to destroy it and there were a lot of reasons why it could have been destroyed by it going on too long and it just seemed like the right thing to do to end it after five years and go out on a high rather than having the opportunity to annihilate it yeah no that that is a that makes perfect sense to me. Like, have good memories of it, not regrets that you ruined it. Well, I mean, it's the other thing. Like, do you really want to be financially, um, in you know, like I don't know if I like I didn't want to do build forever. Like, I didn't want to be you know someone who, um, you know, is in their 
50s or 60s, like still running a design festival. Like I, I am still very much interested in the conversations that were happening at Build, and that's why I continue to publish the manual. But I don't know if that was the one thing that I wanted to do for the rest of my life and be known for for the rest of my life. And so, you know, you have to have a little bit of variety as well. And so that, I mean, that was another reason that was that it was a good idea to kind of go try something different. And so, you know, and then I wandered off and did, I, you know, we've been working on XO. We've done three XOs and they have been going tremendously well. But it is a very different beast to to build. It's much bigger and it's tackling a totally different story and there's a lot of it's it's very different and you know andy and i run xo um year to year we will you know it's not going to go on forever either you know we haven't even decided we're going to do another one yet so um it's just it's part of it is leaving yourself open to other projects um like i don't know if i want to be known for being a person who just does events uh, or just publishes books. Like I might want to wander off and do something else at some point. So that's, I mean, that's definitely part of it as well was uh, it was time to go and do something different. So I want to talk about um, XOXO a little bit, uh, but before we do that, let me thank our second sponsor for this week's episode, and that's our friends over at Dash. Dash is a super cool website that allows you to very quickly create real-time custom dashboards that become like a look into your business or your personal life. These dashboards allow you to create a visual overview of important data for your website, maybe for your business. They allow you to pull in data from a variety of different sources from around the web. There are dozens of pre-built widgets for services like App Figures, Google Analytics, GitHub, Twitter, and so many more. And if you want to get really geeky, you can display your own custom data in Dash too. They have an API that allows you to share data from Dropbox or the web and create your own custom widgets that allow you to display the information that's important to you. So say, for example, you could get a really good overview of what's happening with your Twitter mentions to your site. You could get your Google Analytics analytics data in as well so you can see how many people are there you could track github issues like we do this for the relay fm site so i have uh, the twitter stream for relay fm see what people are saying or see if people have things that they want to talk with us about i have our google analytics stuff so i can see how many people on the site i have our github issues there to track the things that we want to change um it's also i have uh, my gmail account hooked in so i can see what emails coming in and keep on top of that too the pricing model for dash is a lot like github Everyone gets unlimited public dashboards, so you can share live data with the Dash community. And public dashboards are in like a directory, so you can go there and see what other people are creating. You can subscribe and, and like duplicate their dashboards too. So maybe people have got like information about your favorite sports team, for example. You can get all that there. But if you upgrade to their pro account for ten dollars a month, you also get unlimited private dashboards too that are just for you to see. Dash is currently running an awesome limited time promotion. If you sign up for free right now at thedash.com, you'll also get one private dashboard in addition to your free accounts and limited public dashboards too. There's no credit card required to do it, and you'll keep that private dashboard for free forever. So this is a fantastic offer that you should take advantage of right now. So go to thedash.com and sign up. This will also help support Inquisitive and FM. Thank you so much to Dash for supporting us once again. So. Andy, how did you and Andy Bayo decide to start XOXO? Like at that time, wasn't one conference enough for you? Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there is actually a pretty good origin story. 
um, to XO. I had um, if anyone if anyone doesn't know Andy Bale, I, I run XO with with another person called Andy. We are uh, referred to as the Andys, um, and so um, if anyone doesn't know Andy, it would be worth digging into waxy.org and going through particularly one blog post where. Um, he was sued for the uh, album artwork for a chiptunes uh, cover album of Miles Davis' Kind of Blue called Kind of Bloop that he funded as an early Kickstarter project. And uh, the long story short is that, um, that Andy was um, settled out of court for the, for the album artwork, um, which was a... Uh, pixel art rendition of the Jay Mazel cover of a uh, photo on the on the cover of of the original record, um, and so there's a whole blog post, and I don't necessarily have to get into that. But um, it was uh, Andy published that blog post while I was in Portland for the first time. It was on my first trip here, and uh, it w- the day that that blog post went up, the internet just absolutely lost its mind. It was everywhere. Um, people were just kicking off on Twitter about fair use and and talking about how it was unfair that that Andy had to settle out of court for I think it was thirty two thousand dollars or something in the region of definitely over thirty thousand um, dollars and so what happened then later that day was that Andy had tweeted saying you know rough day uh, I'm gonna go for a beer if anyone wants to come I'm going to this bar in Southwest called Bailey's Tap Room um, you know you're more than welcome to join me and so I was um, Visiting Portland for the first time, I was uh, staying with my friend Frank, and fr- whenever I got back that evening, I was like, well, what are we going to do this evening? What's going on? And Frank had mentioned, he's asked, had I seen the blog post? Did I, you know, want to go and have a beer with Andy Bale? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go and have a beer with Andy Bale. Like, that's what I'm here to do is meet people and have a good time. And I like beer. Let's go. <laughs> so we, uh, we went over, and that was when I, I met Andy for the first time, but as you might, have, might, might expect, he was swamped. There were a lot of people there to say hi and to talk to him about what had happened. And so I got to talk to him for, I think, all of about 15 seconds before um, I slinked off to the bar. Uh, and I didn't really get to talk to him for the rest of the evening, but I, I did get to talk to someone who is a mutual, has become a mutual friend, Nevin Morgan, who works at Panic. And I had mentioned to Nevin, like, oh, I'm having a really good time. And I think that, the, you know, I've got... I had, at this point, I had been in Portland for a couple of weeks, and I had already kind of got to know some people in the design creative community in Portland. Like, I really love it here, and I think, you know, I'd love to come back, and I'd love to look into, like, running an event, and I have this idea for this thing, but I don't know. And it was just, you know, it was just pub talk or just having a beer and talking about whatever. And so I didn't, I didn't really think anything of it, but then um, I think it was – that would have happened in the summer, so it was early then the following year. I got an email out of the blue from Andy that said, "Hey, uh, you probably don't remember, but we met that time at Billy's Tap Room. My friend Nevin mentioned that you are maybe thinking about running an event in Portland. Um, if you're here, or um, you know, if you're commutable distance, do you want to have a beer and let's you know discuss um, what you're working on?" And so I actually was in Portland. I was back in Portland. So I arranged to have a, a drink with Andy. I had been working on kind of developing what I was thinking about doing in Portland, but still running Build. And um, I was considering it as something that I would do whenever Build was finished after the fifth year. So I went to met Andy for a beer. To him was, okay, you tell me what you're working on. 
I'll tell you what I'm working on. If they're similar, then let's find a way to kind of merge the ideas. And if they're different, let's try to set them six months apart. Um, and I'll make sure that I'm not stepping in your toes and you can make sure you're not stepping on mine. <laughs> and so he pitched what he was working on. He said that he was, he, he had already got a name for it. That was the only thing that we differed on, but we were effectively working on the same thing. We'd already picked, we'd both picked the same venue. We wanted to do it in the Yale union and in, in Southeast Portland. Um, and we both wanted to do it as a Kickstarter project. We wanted to see, it was a little bit different. So we were talking about funding the idea through Kickstarter. And so um, we drank, had a couple more beers. I remember Andy eating an ungodly amount of mac and cheese. And uh, later on in the evening, Andy put his hand across the table and said, all right, let's work together. It, it was pretty clear from that initial meeting that we were um, pretty much working on the same thing and that it, it made, made sense for us to collaborate. And I talked about this a little bit on stage at AXO this year because it's actually kind of, it's a real leap of faith, I think, to have met someone for 15 seconds and then go and have a beer with them and then essentially decide to start a business with them because that is what we did. Yeah. Like we, you know, we spent an evening drinking together and then at the end of it, you know, we decided that we would run a festival. And I guess we, you know, we might have had the option over the course of initial planning to, to bail on it if we wanted to. But I mean, essentially at that point, we had agreed. I mean, we were agreeing to start this three-year-long project together and, you know, it could be even longer if we decide to do more of them. So that, I mean, that's, I always think that that's a really interesting origin story. And I think that it's a real, I think it's a testament to Andy and I's working relationship because there is a lot of trust there. And it started at this place of this, like, enormous, um, exercise and trust to just be like, ah, you know, you seem like a good guy, let's go for it. Um, and some people might look at that as being kind of like flippant and maybe a little bit risky, but I actually think that it, it sums up how, like how Andy and I um, just work together really well and how we actually have kind of lucked into this very positive um, working relationship where we, you know, we complement each other very well and we kind of trust each other um, you know, the things that Andy is good at are the things that I am not so good at and vice versa. And that there is a lot of trust there. And it, you know, it has ultimately turned out to be one of the most fulfilling projects that I've ever worked on. And I, you know, I feel very lucky every day to be able to work with Andy on, on XO and for it to have been the success that it is. And, uh, and, and yeah, it has this really odd origin story and, <laughs> Uh, that has to do with Andy being sued for album artwork for his Kickstarter project and ultimately ending up with this Northern Irish guy on his doorstep starting a festival with him. When the conference is actually happening, what does an average day look like for you, if the term average day could even be applied to that? <laughs> there is really no such thing as an average day. Um, we are working, or EXO uh, takes roughly nine put together from um, starting with booking the lineup and getting the tickets ready to go and all of the kind of stuff you would imagine over the course of the weekend in September. And not one of those days is similar um, to any other. We don't even have a, like, we don't have an office together. We, you know, sometimes we'll work out of coffee shops or we'll work in Andy's office or we'll go um, like have a beer you know, there's really absolutely no consistency in it whatsoever. Um, 
it's it's just whatever whatever needs to get done. Um, but you know, I had mentioned, you know, I, Andy and I have very kind of complementary skills. He is very good at a lot of stuff in the run up. Like Andy kind of handles curation and putting the the conference and the festival events together and then and inviting the right people. And I kind of focus on production and actually making it all click together and work. And I handle sponsorship and stuff. And it's not necessarily like black and white like that, but we have our things that we do. But because we have these kind of defined roles, most of what I do happens closer to September and most of what Andy does kind of happens further away. So we kind of get to this point somewhere in the middle where we start handing things off to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that any day. Um, and, and it's, you know, there's, there's some days where, you know, you are like this year we had, cause we're in very raw venues. Um, we, we pick, we were, we were in the Yale union for the first two years. And this year we were in a building called the red, which was essentially just a giant 16,000 square foot cardboard box. Um, that we had to bring absolutely everything in and we had to do that in the Yale union as well, where we have to bring in, um, additional power, Wi-Fi, toilets, food, um, refuge, um, bike parking, like we absolutely, everything has to come into the building AV obviously. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there'll be some days where we're sitting, having a beer, you know, clearing our inboxes. And then there'll be some days where the toilet truck has exploded and we have to go deal with, uh, the fact that that happened. Or the first year of XO, actually, one of my favorite things is the day after, which is uh, the day after the, the event ended, um, on a Monday, we um, had so much trash that it kind of overflowed out of the um, big trash things. And uh, so we had to go and rebag it all. And I was reading the Verge article about how much of a success XO had been while Andy and I were knee deep in black <laughs> bags trash. full of trash, um, rebagging it all uh, while I was reading this review. So uh, yeah, there's not, there's not really a typical day. Um, it can be, it can be very different. So, yeah. It feels like a success. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, there was something like we were, yeah, we were knee deep in trash. Like I, do you think there's, any other event organizer that is knee deep in trash reading the positive blog posts about what they've done. I'm like, no, probably not. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's an indication of, of success or not. If we were, I don't know. That was, that was not a very pleasant morning. So you, you mentioned this, that each year when XOXO comes to an end, you don't know if there's going to be another one. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of why is that the case if if you enjoy it so much and what is the decision process like to decide if you're going to continue um it's it we do it like that because um exo has over the past three years really um it's been quite unique in in that when people leave, it does genuinely have an impact on their lives. A lot of people are coming to XO and changing the course of their professional life. 
Um, I, I mean, that, that is the thing that we're interested in most of all, is that we are running a festival that is promoting independence. It's promoting retaining creative and, and financial control over your own work. Um, and a lot of people come back so, you know, to kind of ask that they need to go and start something or to finally do this thing that they've wanted to do for a long time or to finally, like, leave their job and kind of go and, uh, and work on something different. And so it's it's EXO has been quite unique in that, you know, a lot of other events, including events that I have organized because I would put build in this list as well. A lot of events you know, leave you, or you leave after the event is done feeling quote unquote inspired. I really despise the word inspired because it, it really doesn't mean anything. Um, but a lot of people leave and they've got this energy and they're like, yeah, I'm going to think about this thing differently or I'm going to you know change something. And then after a few days, it kind of fizzles. But XO has been quite unique in that when people leave, they are making significant changes in their lives and you know taking risks and doing starting projects or or collaborating with people that they've met at xo and it's it's been this tremendous force for good um particularly you know over the past three years we've seen a lot we've seen a lot of that um and so if we ever felt like it was just a thing that people like if we if we ever felt like that wasn't happening anymore um and that that the event had run its course then we we wouldn't run we wouldn't run another one there wouldn't really be any point to it um it would just be you know something that people show up to and kind of enjoy for a weekend but it wouldn't really have any any impact and so that that's that's what we try to measure every year is you know did this was this worth our time did this actually genuinely have impact um, is this something that people are actually genuinely getting something out of? And if they are, then fantastic. It's still relevant, and let's do another one. And I think that that's, that's a really healthy way to deal with events. A lot of people just presume that, you know, that things are going to, it's just going to keep going. But handling it like this kind of keeps us honest. Uh, and if there is ever a point where, you know, we are compromising or, or you know, the, the event is, is, not as good as it could be, or it's not affecting people in the same way, then it's probably not worth doing anymore. So we like to give ourselves the flexibility to say that, you know, that we're not just running it year by year. We're only going to run it for so long as it's having a genuine impact in people's lives. And so, you know, I feel like we've extended that actually quite a bit too, because we, we have particularly in the, in the last year been working really hard on, diversity efforts and, and making sure that we are bringing in as many different people as possible to EXO and that isn't just like a bunch of white guys talking about how they have the, you know, freedom to quit their job and go and do something interesting because like that's, that's you know, of course, there's a tremendous amount of privilege involved in that and um, trying to sort of open it up and be a little bit more realistic and starting, you know, more difficult discussions and um, really shaping this to be the kind of community that we want to be part of. Like it, it's, it's gone beyond just um, being relevant because it's, you know, um, inspiring action in, in people's lives. Like it's, it's kind of got a little bit more uh, deeper than that, but it's uh, we, we still, that's why, um, you know, that's why we, say that we do it year by year. We'll only run another one in 2015 if we think that it's going to have a, a net positive impact on, on people's lives. And also, I mean, 
again, I absolutely recognize that I am incredibly lucky and incredibly privileged that this is my job, that, that I get to do ridiculous things for a living and that, you know, that, that, um, I am among, you know, a small number of people who get to run events and do stuff that they enjoy, um, for a living. You know, I do feel incredibly lucky, but it is also exhausting, especially emotionally. It's, it's absolutely, you know, you, you essentially have to put your life on hold, um, for, for the vast majority of the time when you're organizing something like this, something this big, um, we can't really afford to bring on a lot of extra help. You know, we, we try, we get some production assistance every year, but we, you know, it's, it's really exhausting. Um, you know, relationships in your life suffer. And, you know, I know Andy in, in particular is, uh, we just, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a lot. It can be a lot for two people to handle on their own. And so if it also, if it ever got to a point where we just felt like we couldn't handle it, you know, we don't want there to be an expectation that it's going on forever. We want to be able to say, no, it's done, or no, we want to go do something differently. But all of the stuff that I enjoy um, about EXO, working with Andy and the people that it has brought into my into my life um, and on these relationships, like that, those things don't necessarily have to go away if EXO ever ends. Um, like I will always find a reason to be working with Andy on stuff. I will always find a reason to continue to be involved in this community. But we, I think that we, I think that it's responsible to kind of give ourselves the flexibility to be able to say that we wouldn't do another one if it genuinely didn't make sense to do another one. That seems fair. I mean, I think it's, it's better to make that decision based on the output that you want the event to have rather than to just continue doing it for whatever um, selfish reasons you would do something like that for, you know? Oh, I mean, or commercial reasons. Like yeah. there are a lot of events that are just running endlessly because a company runs them and it's a business. Um, and, you know, certainly, I you know, Andy and and trying to get paid as well. But we are also, you know, we're primarily running it because we enjoy running it. Um, and because we, it's something that we want to do. The fact that it can sustain us for the months that we work on it is wonderful. Um, and again, very lucky and privileged in, uh, that, that that is possible, but it's also, you know, I, and again, it kind of comes back to the build thing that if it, if it had to be, if we were treating it like something that, if we were treating it like a job, if we were treating it like something that we were depending on getting money from, then that would be the wrong approach as well. Like I, I prefer to n not think that it's going to be life because that's, you know, it's not necessarily that way. We're kind of prepared for ending it. If it makes sense rather than, you know, ending it and then being like, oh, well, actually, like, now what are we going to do for money? Like, that's not this. It, it, it helps keep it as an enjoyable project rather than it slipping into something that we do as a job because we depend on it and not because we're enjoying it. Makes perfect sense. Um, I just want to take uh, my, our last break and I want to talk to you very quickly about the manual as well. Mm -hmm. so we can We can round everything out of your amazing project list. 
So this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Drafts by Agile Tortoise. Drafts is the quick and easy way to capture and share text on iOS, and it is one of the App Store's most popular productivity apps. In Drafts, text comes first. You open to a new blank draft ready and waiting for you to type. And once you've got your thoughts out, you're able to get them to a multitude of services extremely quickly. Drafts make sure that you don't get bogged down when you're trying to send an SMS by picking this person, tapping through to this person, tapping through to this field. Or if you want to enter a calendar event or save something to Dropbox or add something to an Evernote note or to OmniFocus, you go in, you type what you want, and you're able to output it to many, many different services, a list that is growing all the time. And this is in part due to the directory, the action directory that's been set up by the Drafts community, and it was maintained by... Agile Tortoise, the developer of Drafts, and and but basically what it is is people are adding in new and more powerful things that Drafts can do all the time. So there's more actions, more services, and more apps that you're able to output your Drafts to to basically make it a one-stop shop for any text that you have going into iOS. Drafts makes any workflow shine, and it also features support for advanced multi-step actions and JavaScript integration to combine all of these together into a single tap in some instances. Drafts 4 also adds a new customizable keyboard extension. So you're able to basically set it up so you have a, a... new row of keys above the keyboard. I, for example, have uh, left and right keys in there so I can move the the cursor selection. I also have uh, markdown buttons so I'm able to very quickly and easily format my text into markdown. There's iOS 8 share and today extensions and support of iOS 8 document pickers for importing and exporting. Drafts 4 is now a universal app. It looks fantastic on the iPhone 6, the 6 Plus and also on the iPads. So go right now to agiletortoise.com slash drafts to find out more or search for Drafts 4 in the App Store and to make your text experience on iOS that little bit better. Actually, a lot more better. Thank you so much to Drafts for supporting this week's episode of Inquisitive. So, Andy, what is the manual? (laughs) What is the manual? Um, The manual is a design journal for the web. And so um, it, it originally started actually as a project that Jez Burroughs and I wanted to do to give to people who attended Build. That's actually where the, the name came from originally was that um, it kind of ties into the sort of imagery that we that, that Jez had been using the, in the identity work. Um, and so uh, originally what we wanted to do was collect essays from, from speakers and put them into a book that we would give to attendees. And that was just like over the course of, of a few phone calls, we realized pretty quickly that it could be something much more significant than that. And so it's it's grown to the point where, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're shipping our fourth issue this week. Um, and it is a, a collection of long-form editorial um, articles paired with companion lessons that explore deeper why questions rather than like technical how questions around designing for the web, particularly in relation to sort of graphic design theory and treating the web um, or designing for the web as its own design discipline. Because a lot of uh, a lot of people, and particularly a lot of literature, 
surrounding web design, it's still very technical. A lot of people still consider the web to be something that you become technically proficient at. You learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, whatever, and you can design for the web. That's not true. Um, there are a lot of other reasons why, or a lot of other things that you need to have working knowledge of in order to be a successful um, web designer. And so that is that is what the manual aims to explore, um, is editorial that gives a design uh, kind of bent to what it has traditionally been considered a very technical uh, discipline. And so we have we have longer articles, somewhere in the region typically of, of um, two and a half thousand words. Um, and then our authors also contribute lessons, which is a short story, normally no longer than 800, 900 words, um, a, a time in their life when they learned a lesson, typically not design lessons, it's just um, uh, a time in their, in their life where they learned a lesson. So it's a more personal story. And so, yeah, that's that's what the manual is. We, we print it as a, as a physical book. Um, we've been doing print books since the beginning. Um, we just had a Kickstarter project um, that ended, it was running in September, um, and it funded the manual becoming uh, an ebook, uh, audiobook, um, uh, the audiobook edition of issue four is read by Roman Mars from 99% Invisible and is excellent. You should go to the manual.org and, and purchase any of the editions that I've mentioned, of course, but also the audiobook is excellent. Um, but also, uh, primarily the Kickstarter project was to fund us putting the editorial for free uh, on the web. And so we are building an open, free and open web edition. Uh, I'm publishing uh, every article and lesson from the first three issues and then from every issue going forward, including the one that, we, that we've been shipping this week, issue four. Um, and so that is, uh, that is what the manual is. Why did you decide to go with uh, Kickstarter this time around? Was it to try and build the manual into a more long-term uh, business for you? Well, the the idea with the manual all along is that it would be a, something that I'm always working on. Uh, the manual at present does not have a timeline. Um, I am endlessly interested in, in publishing um, these kinds of articles and lessons, and uh, I don't have any desire to stop yet. I don't see a timeline for it. So absolutely making it um, sustainable is a big part of, you know, that is what I work on every day um, is sustainability and making sure that it is something that, that can support us um, working on it all of the time. But um, the the first issue was was a Kickstarter project, and I've had, I've had a little bit of experience with Kickstarter projects because um, but not only did we do the first issue of the manual as a Kickstarter project, but the first XO was funded as a Kickstarter project. And the reason why we chose a Kickstarter project for um, for the the manual everywhere, which is what we're referring to as publishing in multiple editions, that we um, wanted to see if there was enough support for paying. Uh, for people to, to pay to have the manual online for free. So would enough people come up behind the manual and support it in order to make it free for everyone else? And Kickstarter is a fantastic platform for doing stuff like that because if you have, if you, it's essentially Kickstarter is a way to answer a question. It's not necessarily a, you know, this black hole of money that you can, you know, reach into and there's just like an infinite pool of money in there. Although I don't know if, if you reach into a black hole, I don't think that would 
necessarily be a very good idea. Um, but it's you know it's not this infinite pool uh, of money. It's really a way to reach out to your audience and ask them, do you want this thing to exist? And that's very much what we had to do with with the recent project was we want to put everything up online for free. We want to do ebooks and audiobooks. This is going to change the nature of the manual because it was a print book uh, and it was very staunchly a print book. The idea of like, you know, stepping away from your work and reading the manual was, you know, how we defined the manual for the first three issues. And we wanted to change that in order to have the editorial be freely available online. But obviously that's not sustainable unless, you know, we have to pay our writers and we have to pay our illustrators and we have to pay everyone who's ever involved with the manual. Like that's how this works. So we wanted to see if it was sustainable to have a small group of readers who would pay voluntarily to have the web edition be free for everyone else. And then also in addition, open it up to, um, to other mediums like eBooks and, and funding the audiobook. And the answer was yes. You know, people did want the manual to exist that way. And we have been receiving, you know, we've been shipping the book over the, the we've been shipping the print book this week, but the audiobook uh, and the eBooks have been available for the past couple of weeks and they are being, received tremendously well we're getting a lot of really good feedback and it's you know it's opening the manual up to new audiences people who were not interested in reading the print book or owning a a print book before i you know can read the manual and having the articles up online mean that you know people can write in response to what we're publishing which was the entire point of publishing it in the first place was that we wanted to contribute to the conversation that might you know my uh that web design um, books and and uh, publications were still very technical and I wanted to add something else into the mix. Uh, and the point was to have people um, con- you know, continue that conversation outside of the books, read what we are commissioning and, and write in response. And so we can, we can do that. You know, now that all of the uh, articles are available in beautiful hypertext on the web, people can, take chunks of, of what appears in the books without having to type it up themselves and, and write in response. And so we've have been incredibly just, I've just been blown away um, by the response. People are really enjoying the fact that we have opened the books up in this way. And um, it, this is how the manual will be published going forward is that everything will be free and open on the web, that we will have eBooks, audiobooks, we will do a print edition. Um, if any other, medium for people reading ever opens up we are prepped and ready to be there as well um the entire point of the kickstarter project was to meet our readers where they wanted to read and so that is what we're doing and that is what we will continue to do so the future is looking bright yes uh absolutely there i mean there are other projects um we're working on getting our store moved over um from shopify over to our own um, platform that we've been building at the moment, and that will offer a lot of flexibility in order to like and uh, for people to be able to kind of manage the additions that they have got from us for before, and for us to be able to offer ebooks to people who have bought the print book before, which is our intention. If you've ever bought a, a copy of the manual before, you'll be getting a free ebook at some point in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we're also working on getting it into stores. Um, we're working on uh, 
getting like bulk subscriptions because a lot of studios and, and companies want to buy subscriptions for their employees. Like we're, this is just the beginning. Like the Kickstarter project was just the beginning of a lot of work to kind of make the manual even bigger. Um, and that's, that's, that's what's getting me out of bed in the morning at the moment is the excitement over kind of building this into something even bigger because having all of the articles available to share on the web means that even more people are going to be reading them. And that's, that's really exciting that there is no longer this $25 paywall where you have to buy a book in order to discover what the manual is. You can go onto our website and read any article you want. Um, that's really exciting to me that we can ha begin to have a genuine impact on this community and share what it is that we are, um, you know, publishing with everyone freely and openly on the web. Mr. McMillan, if people would like to find out what you're up to and, and what's going on with your various projects, where is a good place for them to go to? Uh, a good place for them to go to would, would be probably Twitter. I'm Andy McMillan on Twitter. Um, you can follow uh, XO at, at XOXO. You can follow the manual at, at the manual. Um, my website is goodonpaper.com, which has some links to all of that stuff that I just said. Um, but that is pro yeah, probably the best place to follow me would be on Twitter at Andy McMillan. And we'll have links to all of that stuff in today's show notes, which you can find at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 15. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Mike. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to find me online, I'm at iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week, Campaign Monitor, Dash, and Drafts. Relay FM now has a store. We are selling T-shirts and stickers and the like. If you would like to help support the stuff that we make here, you can also go to store.relay.fm and you can find our lovely wires on. They're on sale for you if you'd like them. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Inquisitive. I'll be back next time. Until then, bye-bye.